Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go beyond the bell. Beyond the bell. With your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. Growing up 6.05 Eastern Standard Time on Saturday nights meant only one thing, professional wrestling, specifically the NWA and WCW. We would tune in to the Superstation TBS to catch our favorites, Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen, Nikita Koloff, the man called Sting, the Road Warriors, Magnum TA, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, the Rock and Roll Express, and many more. On this edition of Beyond the Bell, we go back in time to relive the relationship between the NWA slash WCW and the Superstation. This two-part series will break down the history of the relationship, the greatest moments, the top jobbers in Saturday Night History, and our favorite memories. Plus, we break down in depth what led to Black Saturday. After this quick timeout, we go back to the beginning to archive the history between professional wrestling and the Superstation. The High Spots Wrestling Network is proud to partner with Beyond the Bell and is offering my old school fans one free month of the largest independent wrestling network using the promo code BTB in all caps. New accounts will gain access to over 2,000 hours and counting of premium wrestling content. The High Spots Network features top worldwide promotions such as PWG, Progress, Rev Pro UK, WXW, and WSU. It also highlights many regional U.S. promotions such as PWX, FIP, NEW, Queens of Combat, IWA Mid-South, AAW, and many, many more. Subscribers will also find hours and hours of shoot interviews featuring all the episodes of The Kevin Steen Show and Old School with Steve Carino. The network also provides full access to original content that High Spots produced, such as documentaries on Harley Race, Jim Crockett Promotions, and the Rock and Roll Express, as well as fan favorites like $5 Wrestling. Something for every wrestling fan can be found at High Spots Wrestling Network. For the low price of just $9.99 per month, fans can stream hours of content to their mobile device, their tablet, PC, or stream directly on their TV through Roku. Start your free trial today of the High Spots Wrestling Network.
Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. Wrestling fans, the Saturdays of my childhood were marked by great television. And you combine television with cereal or McDonald's breakfast. I'll take that to pancakes any morning. I love the breakfast I used to have with my family. But growing up in the 80s and 90s, the mornings held such delights as the X-Men, the animated series, and Batman, the Ninja Turtles, He-Man. You know, in reality, though, the cartoons were just foreplay to the awesomeness, to quote The Miz, of the evening's programming. Every Saturday at 6.05 sharp, you'll find me seated directly in front of the television set, glued to all the action transpiring on WCW Saturday night. On this edition of Beyond the Bell, we'll, we will relive the history of WCW Saturday night and list some of the greatest matches that took place. We'll go over the top 10 jobbers in WCW Saturday night history and... We'll look back at the Superstation and the history of pro wrestling, more specifically the NWA and WCW on the Superstation TBS. So Saturday Night Superstation Jobbers and Top Matches lines up our special Saturday Night Edition of Beyond the Bell. A generation of wrestling fans grew up and lost our innocence watching Georgia Championship Wrestling. It was a part of our lives. To many, the the stately Gordon Soley was like a favorite uncle to us. Heels such as the mass Superstar and the Freebirds or like annoying cousins we love to hate. Every Saturday evening, we invited them into our home. Every Saturday, they brought just a little bit of magic into our living rooms. Bill Watts, Ole and Gene Anderson, The Assassins, Mr. Wrestling 2, Dory and Terry Funk, Stan Hansen, Tommy Rich, Austin Idol, Kevin Sullivan, Thunderbolt Patterson, the fabulous Freebirds, the Mass Superstar, Ernie Ladd, Dusty Rhodes, the Samoans, Ivan Koloff, the Super Destroyer, Bob Armstrong, Buzz Sawyer, Roddy Piper, they all were there. I can go on and on. At one time or another, every major star in the NWA, regardless if he worked for Georgia Territory or not, appeared on Georgia Championship Wrestling. Quite obviously, that was the plan you were talking about earlier in the night. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but if you don't succeed the first time, try, try again. And that's what we're prepared to do, Flair and Sting, is keep trying, make as many beachheads as it takes, because sooner or later, it will work. We had you down, but you got off easy this time. Hey, Wait a minute, Gary, come back here, Gary. Don't worry about it, the man is hurt bad. Did you see what he did to him? Well, you're branding iron. Did you see what he did to him? Yes. That was uncalled for, it was unsportsmanlike and everything, and he's hurt bad. Well, I don't know what he knows about sportsmanship anyway. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, I don't know how much time we have left here, but no doubt, as Funk goes up in the crowd, there's, there's got to be a broken arm, and I'm sure the paramedics are back there now with Dick Slater. We'll have a report on that, 
tomorrow night on the NWA main event right here on Superstation TBS. But it looks like it's all boiling down to the Clash of Champions 8, Tuesday night, September the 12th, 8.05 Eastern Time, live, prime time and free here on TBS, the Superstation. Mark that date on your calendar because that's what it's going to be. Flair and Sting, Funk and Muda, finally, in that tag team event. We'll talk more about it tomorrow night on the main event. And remember, next week, right here on the Superstation, join us for the Power Hour Friday night, and we'll see you next Saturday night for World Championship Wrestling. Even a young upstart fan or a young upstart from the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling promotion by the name of Ric Flair made his presence known. I'm not sure if you heard of him, the Nature Boy. Flair, who in 1978 was being considered the NWA, well, he's basically being considered by the NWA Board of Directors to be made NWA World Champion. He knew the importance of appearing regularly on Georgia Championship Wrestling, being seen on a TV program viewed by millions and millions of fans, not to mention every other NWA promoter not seen him, helped Flair fulfill his dream of becoming NWA World Champion three years later because of that exposure the Nature Boy was able to receive. In 1976, a second show was added to WTCG's lineup as the best of Georgia Championship Wrestling and started airing on Sunday afternoons. In the fall of 1979, Georgia Championship Wrestling became the first wrestling television show to be broadcast across the country on cable as Superstation WTBS, the flagship station of media tycoon Ted Turner. It was officially born. The program became such a cult favorite that no matter where they were, wrestling fans made sure they were in front of a TV set at 6.05 every Saturday for two hours of Georgia Championship Wrestling. Everybody watched the show. By 1981, the show, then renamed World Championship Wrestling, as we discussed, was drawing an average of 6.4 in terms of ratings on Saturday nights, making it the most watched show at the time on cable television. Just as Georgia Championship Wrestling reached incredible levels of popularity, it started to slide. The promotion struggled the next few years as Booker and part owner Ole Anderson mismanaged the company by booking the territory's top stars on other NWA shows around the country, as opposed to having them appear on shows in cities like Atlanta, Macon, and Savannah that made up the Georgia Territory and what made it so popular. They started running shows in states like Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, and in the process, skipped going to the cities that had been a a major part of their house show circuit for years. At the urging of local Georgia promoters, who were growing frustrated with Ole, majority stockholders Jim Barnett and Jack and Jerry Briscoe sold controlling interest in the company to Vince McMahon Jr., McMahon had visions of taking the WWF, a regional promotion based in the Northeast he had purchased from his dad, to a national level. McMahon closed Georgia Championship Wrestling down and assumed the company's TV contract, bringing the WWF to Ted Turner's TBS. We actually saw WWF World Championship Wrestling at that time. Phenomenal. It's unbelievable to have seen that happen with WTBS, and we promise to bring you the greatest in professional wrestling entertainment in the world today. We will have this week, as a matter of fact, exclusive footage on a matchup involving the Iron Sheik, who hails from Tehran, Iran. Also on hand 
Adrian Adonis and his tag team partner, Dick Murdoch, the reigning World Wrestling Federation tag team champions, will be with us. And then from there, a man who claims to have the most impressive physique in all of professional wrestling, Jesse the Body Ventura. And then from there, speaking of impressive, we shall have all six feet ten inches of giant-like Big John Stud, who tips the scales very close to the 364-pound mark. Plus, special interviews on Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and a great deal more. So we'll be right back as we will open up with our very first match. The following attraction is a one-ball event with a 20-minute time limit. Introducing first from Los Angeles, California, his weight, 364 pounds, seven foot plus, nearly 400 pounds, the new John Stone. Ladies and gentlemen, the giant stud, big John Stud. And ladies and gentlemen, from Benton Arbor, Michigan, his weight, 287 pounds, the legendary Bobo Brazil. All right, there's a good look at Bobo on the comeback trail as Bobo Brazil hopes to make a big mark for himself and a win over Big John Studd would really say something for the comeback attempt of Bobo Brazil. John Studd claims, of course, to be the true giant in profession. And so, on Saturday... July 14th, 1984, the WWF debuted on TBS, thus pulling a, a basically a tremendous feat in the world of professional wrestling, having two companies combined together on one network television show, partnering together, putting an end to what was an institution to millions of wrestling fans as Georgia Championship Wrestling was no longer presented on TBS on the Superstation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to World Championship Wrestling. On behalf of WTBS, it's a pleasure to welcome the World Wrestling Federation. Exciting new matches, great competitors from all over the world. And here's the man to tell you all about it. Here's Vince McMahon. Vince? Thank you very much, Freddie. Welcome aboard. Thank you. It is indeed a pleasure to be associated with WTBS, and we promise to bring you the greatest in professional wrestling entertainment in the world in today. In one fell swoop, 12 years of quality wrestling on TBS went straight down the drain. McMahon, with TV clearances on TBS and the USA Network, suddenly seemed poised to dominate the wrestling world. That's why it was dubbed Black Saturday. Within days after the WWF first aired on TBS, thousands of phone calls jammed the studio from viewers demanding that Georgia Championship Wrestling be brought back to the network. Fans started a national campaign to get Georgia Championship Wrestling back on the air as thousands of cards and letters flooded into TBS, telling them to kick the WWF off the air. 
the the big difference we saw here. McMahon had underestimated two major factors, however. The first was the difference in taste between fan bases of different geographical regions. WWF's soap opera-ish sports entertainment style of wrestling sharply differed from that of Georgia Championship Wrestling's more athletic, wrestling style. You know, whereas the Georgia promotion featured an emphasis on in-ring action with talented workers. The WWF show featured a bunch of one-sided squash matches. You know, enhancement talents were featured. WWF World Championship Wrestling was mainly used as a recap show. Just think about it. WWF World Championship Wrestling. <laughs> it featured matches which had previously aired on the WWF's main programming venues, such as you know, WWF Championship Wrestling and WWF All-Star Wrestling, you know, before Superstars of Wrestling came along. You know, along with house show bouts from major venues like Madison Square Garden in New York and the Boston Garden and the Philadelphia Spectrum. This was despite the fact that McMahon had originally promised WTBS owner Ted Turner to produce original programming for the TBS time slot in Atlanta. In hopes of appeasing the over 1,000 fans who, who complained to the Superstation over Black Saturday, Turner gave Ole Anderson a 7 a.m. time slot so they could open up Championship Wrestling from Georgia Incorporated. The following year, Turner gave Bill Watts, Mid-South Wrestling, a one-hour time slot on Sundays. So two programs got added. This upset Vince McMahon, who thought that his purchase of Georgia Championship Wrestling would give him an exclusive on WTBS. Ted Turner disagreed because he felt that McMahon basically reneged on the aforementioned stipulation in a contract requiring him to produce a separate weekly program from Turner's Atlanta, Atlanta studio. New programming, that's what Turner thought. He was going to receive. To put things into a little bit better perspective, let's say, Turner figured that if McMahon wasn't going to follow through on the deal, then Bill Watts would. McMahon got word of all the complaints and in in an Atlanta Journal-Constitution news article responded by saying, we'll show those complainers the difference between a major league and a minor league promotion, given time. You know, McMahon's cocky attitude towards that. Instead, it was those complainers who Trump McMahon at that one time. As the complaints kept pouring in, TBS decided to listen to its viewers. Two weeks after the WWF debuted, the station granted a 7.30 a.m. time slot to Ole Anderson's upstart championship wrestling from Georgia outfit. Soli was back as the lead play-by-play man. Quality wrestling was back on TBS, and everybody seemed at peace. Now, I say quality wrestling. Let me footnote this. I'm a... I was always a WWF fan. I love the WWF wrestling. I love the style, the glitz, the glamour. But you have to remember here, two different styles of wrestling were seen. If I had a choice between seeing squash matches and uh, non-progressive programming or storyline-driven, action-packed superstar contests where you saw competitive battles between superstars – what would you choose? It's like either choosing right now watching Superstars on one network or wanting it to be replaced with Monday Night Raw. That's just the difference. Not to say I thought the WWF was inferior because the overall presentation, I think, was greatly superior to any other organization at that time, especially when you have Hulk Hogan there. And you're building stars when building a Piper and all those stars. But back then, you have to look at the nuts and bolts and see, do I want to see uh, enhancement talents or do I want to see competitive matches featuring the upstart Ric Flair you know, and, and seeing the fabulous Freebirds 
the mass superstar. That is what I mean when comparing the two the, the two programming types that were in that time slot. Outraged, McMahon reneged on the deal he had with Turner to produce a separate weekly TV program for TBS that was to be taped at TBS Studios. Instead, McMahon aired tapes of his other syndicated WWF programs. Now, that even pushed him even further to give him opposite what was according or to give him what was completely different, what was arranged in their contract. The relationship between Turner and McMahon began to further fall apart when Turner, upset over WWF's low ratings on TBS, gave a one-hour Sunday evening time slot to Bill Watts, Mid-South Wrestling, hosted by a much younger, good old J.R. Jim Ross. Mid-South Wrestling drew better ratings than the WWF by its second week on TBS. So right there, to as a one as a part of one-upsmanship or gainsmanship, we went from just having WWF World Championship Wrestling on TBS to two additional wrestling programs on the same network. Realizing they could no longer work together, McMahon and, T- and Turner came to an agreement as McMahon sold the right to his time slots on TBS to Jim Crockett Jr. for $1 million, thus ending one of the most tumultuous business relationships in wrestling lore and laying the foundation for the bitter WCW versus WWF promotional war that followed years later. McMahon, Hogan, Savage, Hillbilly Jim, the British Bulldogs, Gene Okerlund were out. Crockett, Flair, Rhodes, Horsemen, Road Warriors, Midnight Express, and Tony Schiavone were in. And so began a new era on TBS, the Crockett years. A footnote is what was seen on the Rise and Fall of WCW DVD. It was noted that the sale of $1 million to Jim Crockett Jr. for World Championship Wrestling was found to quite possibly was the catalyst or was the funding for the first ever WrestleMania to take place in 1985. Interesting note. So began at that time a new era on TBS, the Crockett years. Looking back at the era of Georgia Championship Wrestling on TBS, so many fond memories can come to mind. Gordon Sully and his trademark phrases, Indeed. We've got to get some order restored. Oh, my word. You know, Pier Sixer. And, of course, most famous, the Crimson Mask. Freddie Miller hyping the upcoming shows at Atlanta's Omni, punctuating his pitch without, well, basically with his famous, don't you dare miss it, you know, tagline, and be there. Roddy Piper revolutionizing the concept of a heel color commentator long before Jesse Ventura was credited for it. Ole Anderson turning on Dusty Rhodes during a steel cage match, the culmination of an angle that played out for a year where Ole tried to convince Dusty to team with him so that they could backsta- so he could then backstab him. Flair cutting his first interview as NWA World Champion in 1981, two days after beating Rhodes for the title. Don Morocco shoving a beleaguered Sully to the ground, only to have Piper turn babyface and come to his rescue. Buzz Sawyer battling Tommy Rich in the Omni in a bloody steel cage match that was dubbed the last battle of Atlanta by the local media. You know, the infamous four flat car tire angle with Austin Idol and the Freebirds. So many, so many memories come to mind. World Championship Wrestling, hosted by Tony Schiavone and David Crockett, aired in the traditional Saturday 6 to 8 p.m. time slot. 
taped in the very same TBS studios as Georgia Championship Wrestling. It continued the tradition of wrestling on TBS that started in 1972. Stars like Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA, The Koloffs, The Midnight Express, and Jim Cornette, The Rock and Roll Express, Ronnie Garvin, and The Four Horsemen became synonymous with TBS. With a time slot on TBS, Jim Crockett Promotions, up until then a regional promotion based out of the Mid-Atlantic region of the U.S., now had the cable exposure and depth in roster talent to tour nationwide and challenge McMahon and the WWF on a national stage. Jim Crockett Promotions started to expand outside its Mid-Atlantic base and started running in new markets all over the country. Cities like Philadelphia, Baltimore, Chicago, Miami became strongholds of the National Wrestling Alliance. As 1985 progressed, the wrestling war between McMahon and Crockett heated up with both sides fighting for wrestling supremacy in 1986. Crockett used the TBS exposure to his full advantage. In late 1985, he promoted a weekly championship series for the Saturday show featuring main event matches usually reserved for house shows. Remember, this was still the days of nothing but squash matches on TV, like we discussed earlier. The series culminated on December 28, 1985, when Ric Flair defended his NWA world title against challenger Ronnie Garvin. At over 18 minutes in length and featuring some legitimately stiff chops and exchanges, the Flair-Garvin tussle stands as one of the most physical and memorable matches in TBS history. The match not only set up Garvin as a contender for Flair's title for the following two years, but it firmly cemented Crockett Promotion's presence on the Superstation. As a precursor of things to come, TBS presented Superstars on the Superstation, a tape wrestling show special featuring Crockett stars airing in primetime on February 7th of 86. The special featured marquee matches taped from Crockett's house shows from around the country and packaged in a unique format. In April of 1986, the first annual Jim Crockett Senior Memorial Tag Team Tournament was held at the New Orleans Superdome, a two-day event that featured the best tag teams from around the NWA. The Crockett Cup, which I still love that name, was a huge commercial success, mostly due to the fact that Crockett was able to promote the card nationally on TBS. In 1985, Crockett held the Great American Bash, a single-night extravaganza that drew over 30,000 fans at the, at the Municipal Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. In 1986, as the summer quickly approached, Crockett and Booker Dusty Rose decided to use the TBS time slots to, to their fullest advantage and promoted an entire Great American Bash tour. Crockett was able to promote his Great American Bash tour in all cities all across the country with the outlet that the TBS granted him. Capacity crowds at arenas and stadiums in cities such as Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Dallas, and Kansas City turned out to see stars of Jim Crockett Promotions, JCP. As a result of the, the national forum that TBS granted them, Jim Crockett had his most successful years of business between 1985 and 1986. Tremendous business being done. The wrestling war is heated up in 87 as the battle was about to be taken to another level, pay-per-view. Seeing the success that McMahon had with it, Crockett and Rhodes decided that they would have to get into this part of the business as well. 
They laid out a game plan and decided that their marquee event of the year, Thanksgiving Starcade, would be promoted on pay-per-view. As this was the company's first venture into the pay-per-view market, TBS became invaluable resource, an invaluable investment and resource for promoting this extravaganza. Mid-year, Crockett and Rose decided to go with Ric Flair versus Ronnie Garvin as the main event at Starcade. The ongoing feud between Flair and Ron Garvin picked up in the series of matches and angles airing on TBS, culminating in Garvin winning the title from Flair on September 25th in Detroit, Michigan. In the weeks preceding to Starcade, an irate Flair cut a series of classic promos on World Championship Wrestling TV show, wanting revenge on Garvin for stealing his title. Another round of angles and interviews on the Superstation built towards Starcade, where Flair regained the title in a steel cage match. While certainly a success in terms of wrestling quality, Starcade was a financial flop. McMahon and the WWF upped the ante in the wrestling war, running head-to-head against Crockett on pay-per-view with its inaugural Survivor Series. Although built on TBS for the previous three months, Starcade just didn't compete against Survivor Series and the Enterprise and McMahon and World Wrestling Federation. Just didn't happen. Reeling from the bloodbath he took on Thanksgiving night, Crockett refocused his efforts on TBS. Deciding to play the same game as McMahon, Crockett presented the first ever Clash of the Champions. It was a special on TBS on March 27th in 1988. Going head-to-head with WrestleMania 4 at the time, which was extraordinary to say the least, the early parts of the Monday Night War, the battle between WCW and WWF. The Clash garnered a 5.8 rating on the Superstation and took a big bite out of the World Wrestling Federation. With WrestleMania's hefty price tag and the fact that Crockett's show was being broadcast for free on TBS, more people watched The Clash that afternoon than WrestleMania. And what a show it was. Using the national forum granted them, Crockett decided to help create a new superstar for his company as NWA world champion Ric Flair went to a 45-minute draw with a youngster by the name of Sting. A man called Sting, I might add. The match helped elevate Sting, a former mid-carder in the UWF, and made him into a star overnight. So successful was the experiment that TBS granted Crockett three more primetime slots in 1988 to run Clash of the Champions specials. Miami Mayhem on June 8th, setting up the promotion's Great American Bash pay-per-view the following month, featured NWA World Tag Team Champs Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson of the Four Horsemen going to a double disqualification against Sting and Dusty Rhodes. September's Fall Brawl special from Albany, Georgia saw Sting defeat U.S. champion Barry Windham in the main event, and December's season's beatings, I love that name, from Chattanooga, Tennessee, saw Ric Flair team up with Windham to defeat the Midnight Express. The four clashes garnered an average of a 5.1 rating between them, making the clashes a regular feature on TBS for the next nine years. B.C. Rogers, it's not Jack Briscoe's, it's not Wrestling 2, it's the Nature Boys figure four. You understand? Everything I do is original. Like that girl over there said, she said, you see the nature boy? Well, he is some kind of fine. Right or wrong. He is some kind of fine. He's not one of the free birds. He's not Dusty Rhodes. He is the nature boy. Woo! He is the finest thing on today. 
Cadillacs, diamond rings, and any woman I want. Just like that. You know why? Because my name is Rick Flair. And I am the finest, toughest piece of work in wrestling today. And I'm here, Gordon, for one reason, and one reason only. Because Harley Race won't come to the Big Daddy. Woo! So the Big Daddy is coming to Harley Race. And I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving Atlanta until Harley Race and I meet right there. Fast women, fast athletics. That's what Atlanta's known for. That's what I'm known for. And brother, the nature boy is going to stay here woo, until he takes the world title from Mr. Harley Race. Ladies and gentlemen, look at it. It's the finest product today. No imitation, awfully imitated, but never duplicated. The nature boy will be here woo, for a long time. Nearing bankruptcy, Jim Crockett sold his promotion to Ted Turner in November of 1988 for an estimated $9 million. Wrestling was the highest-rated show on TBS for years. It provided countless hours of programming each year for TBS, and with the possibility of Crockett going bankrupt and shutting down the company, Turner's sole motivation for buying Crockett promotions was to ensure that wrestling would be a programming staple on his network for years to come. Wrestling was Ted Turner's baby. He always had something special in his heart for professional wrestling. Just as the Turner ownership began, Booker Dusty Rhodes ran a controversial angle on World Championship Wrestling that saw the Road Warriors nearly blind the American dream with a metal spike. The gory image of Rhodes bleeding profusely all over the ring did not sit well with the TBS executives, and as a result, he was immediately replaced as Booker, and soon after Rhodes left the promotion to start up his own wrestling outfit based out of Florida. In the spring of 1989, the taping of Saturday's program moved from the famous TBS studios on Techwood Drive in Atlanta to Center Stage Theater on Peach Street. With a seating capacity of 500 and a modern look, the World Championship Wrestling Program entered a new era. By 1989, The Clash became an integral part of TBS. Five primetime specials aired throughout the year. April's Raging Cajun Clash went head-to-head with WrestleMania on pay-per-view. The main event featured then-NWA World Champion Ricky the Dragon Steamboat against, or defeat, I should say, Ric Flair in a two-out-of-three falls match. At just over 55 minutes in length and featuring two of the all-time greatest wrestlers, the Flair Steamboat match from the April 89 Clash is considered by many the greatest wrestling match in the 29-year history of pro wrestling on TBS. That memorable performance was nearly topped seven months later when TBS aired the New York Knockout Clash from East Troy, New York, On that evening, Flair and Terry Funk put on one of the greatest brawls in wrestling history in an I Quit match that is still remembered to this very day. The drama and intensity of this brilliant feud was memorably captured prior to the match by Gordon Soley, who uttered the now famous line, five letters, two words, I quit. It was one of those rare moments in broadcast history that sent chills down the spines of wrestling fans all across the country who turned in to see this historic match between Flair and Funk. Over the next three years, WCW management 
changed countless times, fired Ric Flair, and underwent several changes with each change in command. Tremendous change happening during that time. The one constant was TBS. More than ever, TBS became the cornerstone of the promotion from its live clash specials, tinkering with the schedule to name changes, Saturday's World Championship Wrestling Program, which was revamped in 1992 and given a new name, WCW Saturday Night, and a change in format. Wrestling on TBS remained an institution for many fans, still with all these changes. And we look to the WCW Saturday Night Era. World Championship Wrestling would be renamed WCW Saturday Night on April 4th, 1992. This reflected an overhauled look and new home studio arena at the CNN Center. The, the show featured high-tech, futuristic design with the unique entryway of slide-open doors and billowing smoke as the performers made their way to the ring. When the show originally premiered, it was hosted by Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura. In later years, Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan, Larry Zbysko, Dusty Rhodes, who affectionately referred to Saturday Night as the Mothership, Gene Okerlund, Scott Hudson, Mike Tenay, and Lee Marshall handled the show's announcing duties and backstage interviews during its tenure. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Feel of pleasure to introduce truly one of the all-time greats in professional wrestling. Finally arriving at World Championship Wrestling, this man has done it all. The Macho Man, Randy Savage. Welcome to Atlanta. Oh yeah! I want everybody right now to freak out, freak out. The Macho Man is right here. And I'm here for only one reason, and that's to take it to the limit, yeah! Uh, can you be a little more specific about that, Macho Man? I know you've got to have goals and objectives when you come to an organization, a star of your magnitude, but what specifically do you have in mind? You're right about that, because a lot of people out there call me hardcore, a lot of people out there call me cold and calloused, a lot of people out there think that I'm living on the edge, and that I'm insane in the membrane, and that I'm a time bomb, and I could go ballistic at any second, and all those things could be true, but it doesn't ignore the fact that I'm here for one reason, and one reason only, and that is to confront the man that goes by the name of Hulk Hogan. Now, me and Gene Oakland, I want to ask you a question right now. Shoot. Do you know a man that goes by the name of Hulk Hogan that hangs around here? I hope you're not living in a cave and haven't been in New York because Hulk Hogan is the WCW heavyweight champion. 
He is? He is the champion. Well, you know, I think I might have a problem with that because past, present, and future, the number one wrestler in the universe is the macho man Randy Savage. And Hulk Hogan, you're number two. So I don't care if you're in a garbage can, come on out here. I don't care if you're underneath the ring. Come crawling over here because we got to do something man-to-man. We got a TCB. Take care of business. Get him out of here right now. Well, I don't believe Hulk Hogan is available, but I don't think Hogan's the kind of guy that would ever back down from any kind of a confrontation. Oh, is that right? No. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. What I want you to do is tell me a situation where, when, what time that I can meet Hulk Hogan and get this thing resolved. Real simple. He's going to be at Starcade on December the 27th in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, really? Yes. Starcade? Starcade. December the 27th, Nashville, Tennessee, Music City. Let me tell you something. I'm thinking about something right now. That's kind of cool right now because I can wait. Good things can wait. I'm going to tell you something, Mean Gene Okerlund. By a hook or by a crook, the macho man is going to be at Starcade. Oh, yeah, I am. And uh, somewhere in the night. I'm going to have eye contact with Hulk Hogan, and one of two things are going to happen. One, I'm going to take my hand and put it out to you, Hulk Hogan, and shake your hand. The other thing that may happen is that I might slap you in the face. And spin your head all the way back to Venice Beach, California. What Put the boots to you. Thank you very much. No, no. Stop it right there. I'm going to tell you something right now. Hulk Hogan, uh, Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. Macho Man and Hulk Hogan have a date with destiny. Oh, yeah. Starcade, dig it. All right, the Macho Man Randy Savage already making his presence known here on WCW Saturday Night. Oh, yeah! We're going to be right back. Don't go away. In the summer of 1996, WCW Saturday Night was taped at WCW Pro's Disney MGM studio set in Orlando. Due to all of Turner's mobile production units being used by other broadcasters for the 96 Summer Olympics in Atlanta, they decided to move it to Disney MGM Studios where everything was set up previously for WCW Pro, which was another program. The New World Order, NWO, did their own version of WCW Saturday Night in late 96 called NWO Saturday Night Live, which we could say wasn't too popular. Episodes of WCW Saturday Night were usually filmed well in advance, with the exception of three live editions. WCW Saturday Night aired three live shows in its history. The first one aired July 10, 1994. Sting wrestled Ric Flair as voted on by the fans. The first ever incarnation or first ever broadcast similar to a Taboo Tuesday or a Cyber Sunday, where the fans could pick the voting via telephone. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are awaiting the arrival of the one and only Hulk Hogan.
from tomorrow night on pay-per-view, the biggest match in professional wrestling history, the bash at the beach, you one-on-one with Ric Flair for the WCW heavyweight title, Hulkster. Well, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. The fact that Hulk Hogan is here in the WCW, this is the biggest day in my life, the biggest day in my career. And now that Ted Turner has put his seal of approval, now that his words are etched in stone, this is the number one wrestling organization in the world, brother. And all the maniacs know that, dude. Amen. And as far as next Sunday goes, July 17th, the bash at the beach. One man, one belt, one title, one world heavyweight champion, brother. That match will be the one that the whole world watches, brother. All the Hulkamaniacs on the inside, the thousands of them. All the thousands of Hulkamaniacs on the outside of the building, brother. And all the millions upon millions of Hulkamaniacs all over the world watching their TVs will see one winner, one loser, and one world's heavyweight champion, dude. You know, I should point out, just for the record... Sensuous Sherry is barred from the building here tonight, but I understand she will be in Orlando. Well, you know something, brother. When Ric Flair said he was the dirtiest player in the game, we realized what he was talking about. And when Sensuous Sherry came out, we saw that Ric Flair was his, that, that Sherry was his down card. But let me tell you something, brother. My prayers have finally been answered, brother. We will have Ric Flair in Orlando. But tonight, the WCW, Eric Bischoff, and interactive wrestling is the cutting edge, brother, of the wrestling business. Tonight, all the media, Jimmy Hart, dial that phone number for me, brother. Tonight, the Hulkamaniacs have a chance to call in and decide who they want to wrestle tonight. And as far as the main event goes, Jimmy, give me that number. I want to see Ric Flair wrestle Sting tonight, brother. That's the main event I want to see, dude. Wait a minute, because Sherry's barred from the building, I don't think Ric Flair's got any interest in wrestling. Well, brother, I don't care what Ric Flair wants. That's what's so cool about this thing, brother. The Hulkamaniacs can make a difference. Even without Sherry here, we can put Ric Flair in the ring against Sting, brother, and he's got nothing to say about that. Absolutely right. If you do vote for Ric Flair, he'll have no choice but to get in the ring and meet Sting, so... Keep that in mind as you make those telephone calls. You know, we got the Shack Attack in Orlando. We got George Foreman there, brother. We got Hammer and Hank, who's taught me how to hit a home run with Ric Flair's head. But the one thing that I got now in my corner, the one man watching my back, the man that knows how to bite, scratch, claw, and fight for what he believes in, and that's the training the prayers, the vitamins. That man is here with me tonight, brother. He is the best street fighter in the world and that's my main man brother mr t brother you know something rick flair when you talk about having the deck stack, brother, when you talk about having a down card, brother, we're not worried about sneaky Sherry anymore, brother. If any of your friends want to come out from the back during the bash at the beach, 
if any of your friends want to try to interfere in my match with Ric Flair, I've got the maniac mugger here, brother. I could put him at ringside, but he's going to be hovering the Alandra Arena. And I pity the fool that gets in your way, brother. You said it, Hulk. I'm glad to be here with you, brother. Wherever you go, I'll be there. We're going to take control of the WCW. And Ric Flair, you better look out. Sensational Sherry, whatever your name is, Sneaky Sherry, you better look out. Anybody that try to take care of business, you know, sneak you from the back, that's my job. You take care of the business in the ring, I'll be patrolling the outside, up in the balconies, in the alleyways, taking care of business. Don't worry about nothing. I got you covered. And what you going to do, Ric Flair? What you gonna do, Ric Flair, when the largest arms in the world in Hulkamania run wild on you? I pity the fool! Stay tuned, we're back after this! I can only tell you one thing, and you can get as outraged as you want. You are not world championship wrestling. You want to go to Rupert's, and you want to play on the social life of Atlanta, you go. But the title will stay here, and it's that simple. What are you talking about? What we're talking about is the the voting is very close, and the fans want to see the world champion, Ric Flair, wrestle Sting. Let's go back to the Hulk Hogan made his first in-studio appearance, and... He and Sting were attacked by Sherry, Mata- Sherry Martell, sensational Sherry, sensuous Sherry, in drag. The second aired from downtown Charlotte, North Carolina on May 27, 1995. It started raining halfway through the show, causing the ring mat to become slippery at times. The third live airing took place on August 10, 1996, from Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in Sturgis, South Dakota. The show took place right before the Hog Wild pay-per-view event, which was held on a Saturday night instead of the usual Sunday night slot for WCW pay-per-views. You know, as a result, WCW Saturday night was used as a lead-in program to the pay-per-view, much like WCW main event was used as a lead-in for the Sunday pay-per-views until 1996. I want to talk about the impact that WCW had on the Disney MGM studios. Eric Bischoff thought it would be a, a nice feature to have WCW Saturday Night be displayed and be hosted within the Disney family. He thought you would have a constant flow of fans in and out of the in and out of the arena, constant action, cutting the the, the costs because the amount of, of spend that WCW was having at the time was tremendous. So he thought by cutting the amount of spend, they would need to be traveling and filming and, and, and transporting all those materials needed for television programming. And keeping them localized to Disney MGM Studios, where it's already held, would save WCW money, which did work. But then, when when things started to heat up in terms of the Monday Night War, 
WCW moved out of Saturday nights. They still kept the WCW Saturday night show and programming schedule, but they moved on to Monday nights. When WCW introduced live programs Monday Nitro and Thunder, Saturday night became WCW's C-show, sort of like how WWE had Sunday Night Heat. The majority of airtime would be used to display up-and-comers and recent graduates of the WCW power plant, with the occasional squash match in between we, used to, we were used to seeing in the 80s during Superstars or Wrestling. They also recapped major events of other shows. Then in July of 2000, the name of the show was changed to WCW Saturday Morning, which coincided with a change to an earlier time slot and a new format rather than feature new matches. Saturday Morning simply recapped the past week's Monday Nitro and Thunder, mainly due to cost-cutting measures. On June 24th of 2000, WCW Saturday Night aired for the last time. And as we know, World Championship Wrestling was purchased by Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation. And that was the last we saw of WCW Saturday Night. And the last we saw was Thunder on the Superstation TBS. A sad, sad time for professional wrestling on the Superstation. But we'll forever remember all those years, all those memories of professional wrestling, Georgia Championship Wrestling, World Championship Wrestling, the National Wrestling Alliance on the Superstation TBS. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. TuneIn Premium has all the radio you want for $7.99 a month. That's all the radio you want for $7.99 a month. That means every single Major League Baseball game, every single NFL game, the most massive collection of commercial-free radio stations in the world, over 5.5 million podcasts, and unlimited access to 40,000 audiobooks. Download the TuneIn Radio app for a free seven-day trial of TuneIn Premium. TuneIn Premium, boundless audio. You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, the SNS Radio Network, Podbay.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our official website, btbcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at btbcast. Watch retro videos on our official YouTube channel, btbcast network. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to contact at btbcast.com Go old school with Beyond the Bell Old school fans that concludes part one of our look back at the Superstation and WCW So many great moments that will stand the test of time. On our next edition of Beyond the Bell, we bring you part two as we look back at the greatest jobbers in Saturday Night History and relive our favorite memories. Content courtesy of the Mid-Atlantic Gateway, Soli's Vintage Wrestling, High Spots, the PW Torch, and the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, WWE.com, audio courtesy of the WWE Network 
www.com, the High Spots Wrestling Network, YouTube, and the DVD releases The Rise and Fall of WCW, The Nature Boy, Ric Flair's Definitive Collection, Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen, and the History of the World Heavyweight Championship. So, fans, it's time to take it home. So, until part two of the Superstation and WCW, this is your 605 Old School host signing off. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Beyond the Bell. Remember to always keep it old school, my friends.